Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Welcome to interview number two of the 2020 season. Today we have with us the rider of the number 116 TCD Racing, TJ Albright, out of Mount Marion, New York, along with me and my co-host, Winnie. Good afternoon. What's going on, T? How you been, buddy? Oh, uh, doing all right. Pretty good. Just battling a little injury? Yeah, a little, just a little one. Uh, tore my ACL uh, five days ago, six days ago. <laughs> Just a little one. Just a little one. Football, you're done, but you tried to race on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Football, I was always taping up my ankles and all that kind of stuff. And then tore my ACL like five days ago, and then there was a race in Michigan on Monday. So I tried to go do that, but it wasn't too smart. No, and uh, you're a privateer, right? Yes. So when you say you tried to race, you literally are your own mechanic. You drive the van. You do everything, right? Yeah, exactly. It was just me and my girlfriend that went out, and you know, you drive 800 miles there, 12 hours, and then... Get there, set all up, go to the hotel, come back the next day, do all the bike work, get the bike ready to go out for practice. When practice is over, I'm the one washing and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely hard just doing it on your own, but, I mean, it is what it is to do it. Yeah, I mean, I've been there, in the, not in the pro model that you're in or na- nationally, but I've been there. Like, uh, you got you got picture-taker friends that they come around. If something good's happening, they mm-hmm. all want to be in the picture. Yep. But when all the hard work's going on, they're nowhere yeah. to be found. Yeah, exactly. I've been there. Um, so I, I've read somewhere that you used to be in uh, Florida, right, at GPF. Correct. And now you're with Ricky Carmichael at the Goat Farm. Yes. Uh, they're both actually in the same town of Cairo, Georgia. Uh, it's five to six miles north of the Florida line, north of Tallahassee. So uh, the facilities, there's like three or four of them that are in that small town of Cairo. Like it's small. And uh, I was at GPF and then I went over to Carmichael's. So what's that like having probably the greatest of all time be a trainer? It's pretty surreal. Like the first day I was there, uh, you, you always start, like when you get into the sport, it would be like if when you're playing football, if you just went to Tom Brady's house and learned how to throw a football. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, it's it's pretty surreal when you first go, but as time goes on and the more hands-on he is with you on the track and off the track, it you know it kind of becomes normal. Little, yeah. And a little background: you were you were our first Tom Brady. <laughs> going oh, way, going he had way all back. the records absolutely. for when he played for us. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, is he tough on you sometimes? Oh, yeah, he definitely. A lot of the training is done actually by his mom. Really? She's the one that coached him coming up, and she's all about stopwatch, accountability, lap times. There's not a day or a session that we're out on the track and our lap times aren't getting taken. So it's pretty, you know, hands on, and she holds us accountable for every single lap we well, do. That's awesome. That's the way you get better. And the reason I asked you that question is because it was either. One of your first times you qualified or something, I saw he put on, uh, I think you put a picture up 
on Instagram, mm-hmm. and he and he was like riding your ass about always sitting down. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, like always no, sitting down. It's never just like when he was growing up with her. I mean, it's nothing's ever good enough. He won. He went. 24 and 0 which in outdoor season there's 12 rounds two motos per round and he won every single moto Jesus. two years in a <laughs> row and it still wasn't good enough when he came home uh race on sunday back then the races were on sunday now they're on saturdays but he uh would come home and monday morning straight to work there's some stories that like uh he would take his gas cans out in the woods and dump his gas so he wouldn't be able to ride the rest of the <laughs> wow. day because she didn't care. He was riding until he burned through five gallons of gas. Wow. That would be great. That's what it takes, right? Yeah. Now, I heard George use the term privateer. What does it take to to get to that next level where you have help doing all that stuff? Well, so there's each OEM, so Kawasaki, Yamaha, KTM, Suzuki, Husqvarna, they all have two or three factory riders. And to get onto a factory team, you basically... If you don't have the results as an amateur where you're winning everything, like there's this kid, for instance, Adam Cincerello, he was the next big thing growing up as an amateur. He signed a factory deal when he was 12 years old. Wow. So for someone like me who got into racing dirt bikes competitively when I was you know, 10, 11 years old, I was always kind of behind the eight ball. But if you go out there and you get results and you're you know, top five, top 10, which is extremely hard to do, especially as a, as a privateer, it you know you have to go be able to go and get those results it's really a result driven sport Mm -hmm. money driven too yeah it's very expensive um and there's a there's a few politics in it just like anything whoever if you know somebody it makes it a little easier but um for the most part if you're getting results you know results can't be denied now as far as as far as other sponsors go you have constant opportunities throughout the season to pick up sponsors you've been quartered um for the most part, all the sponsorship deals are going into like November 1st. You kind of have all your deals laid out for the following year. Okay. Where this year is a little different because of COVID where normally we're done for the year by now, but we're only five races in wow. to the outdoor series out of 12. So normally we would, everything would be done and people would be switching teams, switching sponsors. But uh, now, because of COVID, it's everything's taking a little longer. Are you still racing in front of empty stadiums right now, or have they let people back in? Yeah, so uh, super beginning of Supercross, going back to like from January to March, it was full. Everything was rocking like normal, and then when Corona hit at in March and they started shutting everything down, uh, the last Supercross race with fans was at Daytona Speedway where they raced the NASCAR, and then. Uh, we had like a three-month break, and then they went to Salt Lake City, Utah, and they did seven rounds to finish out the championship, but there was no fans at all. And then going into outdoors, they did a thing where, I guess, you're if it's an amateur event, you're allowed to have spectators. So they are holding amateur races at all the pro races the day after the pro race. And so if you sign up for an amateur class, you're allowed to have eight mechanics, say, so if you sign up, then you can have eight guests that can watch the pro race. Right. It's just kind of their way of getting around the rules. Yeah, and that, and that seems like it's all any type of racing right now, except for horse racing, that you have to uh, cook the rules a little bit. Um, touching on sponsors, uh, I said TCD Racing. Is there any other sp- – I mean, I, I saw Fly Racing gear, right? Mm-hmm. You always have that Fly Racing gear on mm-hmm. in vans. Yep. Now, does any of that carry over from your – a lot of people may not know you were world uh, World Cup BMX champion. Gold yeah, Cup. national BMX champion. Um, the 
only sponsors that carried over were from BMX to motocross was flying vans. And then my fly contract was for the most part, when I first started motocross, it was all, everything that I got was based off my BMX past results and, um, stuff like that. But then eventually I got the results racing motocross that I ended up getting my own or not my own, but a contract for motocross instead of just getting my stuff through past BMX results. Right. Um, so who, who else do you have besides, I mean, their gear, obviously, yes. and then, and then you have stuff for the bike itself, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, TCD racing, it's based out of Michigan. It's like a suspension and uh, mechanic basically company. They helped me out a bunch. Um, Tim and Heather over there, they're phenomenal. Uh, fly racing, like you said, they make, uh, everything from boots to pants, to jerseys, to gloves, helmet, goggles, everything like that. Uh, wear Garnet boots. Um, ODI grips and handlebars and then Sandbox Kings does like my graphics that you, you would put the sponsors on the bike basically. Right, right. And then uh, I think I read somewhere Engine Ice. Is yeah, that... Engine Ice is like a coolant company. A coolant? Mm -hmm. All right. So, I mean, yeah. So, it seems it seems like you got plenty of sponsors, but you can always use more. Yeah, exactly. A lot of like, for the most part, what I struck, like I get a lot of the stuff for free from like gear to suspension and stuff like that but the biggest struggle as a privateer is getting that you know race entry because we have to pay to race and like if you go to a net like picture you told lebron james that he has to pay to go play tonight right right and with our sport if you don't sign up because there's so many people that could be that can enter to the race if you don't sign up three or four weeks before the race your spot gets taken because they only allow 90 entries because they're working on one day. Right. So they can't have 17 practices of 40 guys. So you have to sign up super early. And then the biggest struggle for as a privateer is getting that sponsorship to cover the race entries, cover the gas, the hotels, and everything like that. What does a race entry? 250 bucks. 250 Yeah, I mean, I get it. So what? now... You run when you run Supercross, you run two fifty, but mm -hmm. Motocross, the Lucas Oil Motocross, you run four fifty, right? Yes. So what what's and what's the two fifty payout structure usually? Like what's it to win? Well roughly. The two fifty class payout is horrible for Supercross. <laughs> I mean, if you make the night show, you get seven hundred bucks, but then the entry fee is two fifty. By the time you go to the race, before you even race, you're about twelve hundred bucks in the hole. Just from travel, hotels, we have to buy a mechanics pass. If you have guests with you, you have to buy those passes. So then when you're 1200 bucks in and then you only make 700 back, guaranteed. Right. And that's not even guaranteed. You have to make the <laughs> night show. So, But then the 450 Supercross is $1,000 make the night show. And then if you make the main, it's 2200 bucks, And then it goes up from there. Right. So you at least make a little money yes, if you exactly. make that. Right. Now, I I'm sure it's harder to do uh two the two uh 450 versus 250 yes exactly like 450 supercross is super hard because you to make the night show they take 40 guys and then uh to make the main where all the money really is in our sport is being a main event guy is super hard because there's eight or nine factory teams and they all have two to three riders so those 22 <laughs> spots fill up pretty quick with the best riders in the sport yeah guys so, who i've seen for years and years yeah chad reed mm -hmm. eli tolmack i'm like yeah. so it's hard to compete with those yeah. guys and break in and like the 250 class for supercross as a privateer is a little better because it's split up in the region there's an east and a west so the factory guys get split up to where there's only 
there's still 22 spots available in the main, but there's only, you know, 10 factory guys. So that leaves 10 spots open instead of one or two in the 450 class. Right. And off the air, we talked a little bit about uh, how tough it is to qualify when you're new mm-hmm. and be consistent. I remember seeing you get the whole shot in AT&T Stadium. You ended up, I think, maybe you slipped up late. You ended up third in that, and you got the last qualifying spot. How was that? Like, what was that like to know that you finally made a main event? Oh, it was it was honestly the hardest race of my life because I got the whole shot. And normally, as a, in any race that we do, if you start out front, it's normally easier because if you start in the back, you got to work your way up. But if you start in the front, you have everybody on you. And the first two laps was that it was like a five minute plus one lap race. And the first two laps uh, were completely fine. And then I got the halfway and I was like, oh, don't, don't blow it. Like <laughs> your mind starts going yeah, like, start oh, thinking. don't mess this up. Yeah. yeah. And then when, once you start that, like any sport, I mean, you get in your own head, it's just downhill from there. And fuck, it was, <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> Listen, I've been there. I mean, even when I used to race, uh, dirt modifies and stuff like that i remember getting out front and i'm like do not mess this up and you actually start slowing yourself mm-hmm. down because you're thinking about not messing up instead of just riding or yeah. driving or whatever yeah so I, I i was curious always uh when i bought and i watched that on fox sports one mm-hmm. that night and i'm like he's got to be through the roof at the end of the thing yeah but do you find when you ran that race you don't remember half of it? Because I, I don't remember <laughs> half the time I raced. Yeah, because you, you you're so excited. You're yeah. like, what? What the hell did that happen? Yeah, right? you pull off the track and someone's like, "Damn, you almost you ate shit over there," and you're like, "Dude, I don't even remember." Yeah. Well, it's funny because early on, back in, in the football days, you always had a swagger on the field, even at a younger age. Mm-hmm. Did you carry that with you? I mean, do you have to have that mentality when you? When you're getting ready to take off and start a race, you've got to have it in your head. I've, I've got to do what i got to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, any sport, like I said earlier, everything comes down to... You could be the most prepared in the world, but if you go on that starting line and you have doubt in your mind, it's just going to go bad. Yeah. So if, if you line up behind the center and you're a quarterback and you have doubt that you know, you're know you going to fumble and they're going to win the game, it's the same thing. If, yeah. you, if you think about it, it's going to happen. So you need to be mentally strong and you need to carry that. You can't be overly confident because... Our sport is very dangerous, and the littlest bit of mistake can come up and bite you. But you have to be confident and, you know, humble at the same time. Now, a lot of people don't understand. You've really given your life to this sport. You, uh, you know, we've talked about you played football for us, but um, then, then around seventh grade, you went homeschooled, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, what what was that like? To what like, how hard was that to be? homeschooled, give everything up. You gave up a football career. You're mm-hmm. a damn good football player. Uh, missing out on proms, walking graduation. Is there any regrets to any of that? Um, it was definitely hard because I was so young. So, like, looking back on it now, I kind of have a different, you know, look on it than I did back then. But when you're a kid, you, your parents say, listen, if you want to do this, you know, we're homeschool. You're like, homeschool? I don't have to go to school. <laughs> Heck yeah. Like, that's all I want. But, like, there's definitely some, I don't want to say regret, but there's definitely things that I missed out on, like going to prom and stuff like that. And just, you know, I'm not going to say so much social skills because I've always been around. I went to a facility that had, you know, 20 kids at it right. to, you know, get better at riding dirt bikes. So I was still interacting with people, but there is a lot of kids out there that uh, if you can tell like they they didn't have a lot of friends in high school 
and they or they got homeschooled at a really early age like there's some kids that never even went to public school at all that i raced against <laughs> yeah. so they're homeschooled from four or five or whatever however old you are when you start kindergarten and you can definitely see that they're missing some social skills and stuff like that but yeah i wouldn't really say there's any regret or anything like that but there's definitely certain things that i did miss out on being just 21 now i mean how 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 much more mature you had to grow up at an early age mm -hmm. do you find it hard to relate to people that aren't in your sport that are the same age as you i mean you've done so much more you've been been around and had to persevere through a lot of stuff do you find it hard to relate to kids your age yeah definitely like when i come home because so i got homeschooled in the christmas break of my eighth grade year and i don't know how i think i might have been 12 or 13 but i was living on my own in florida or in georgia at 14 making my own dinners waking up doing my own laundry cleaning everything like that at 14 years old going grocery shopping um so i definitely had to mature and grow up at a young age because i really didn't have a choice because this is what i wanted to do and my dad would come down my parents would come down when they can but at the same time this sport is financially hard and your parents have to work as much as possible to afford it so it was definitely harder for me being 14, living on my own, you know, 1,200 miles away from my family. But at the same time, it's what it takes to, you know, get that end result that I'm looking for. Yeah, I think that's what gets lost a lot of times is people are watching the race on TV or watching clips on the internet or YouTube. There's a lot of sacrifice that you've had to make. Yeah. And, and that goes... The highest levels of everything, every mm -hmm. sport, yeah. they only see the glory. They don't see the hard work mm -hmm. and yeah. all, the, all the things you miss and... Uh, you know, my son plays football now, and I'm like, you know, if you work now, when you're older, like say mm -hmm. you're you're in, you're living your dream. If he got to the point where he could live his dream, I said, other people are dreaming about your life older. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a balancing act. Mm -hmm. do, do you do you miss prom? Do you not? Yeah. You know, so it's one of those crazy things. Uh, now your dad your dad works extremely hard with his mm -hmm. with his lawn care business. Uh, when about when did the nickname Sponge come along? Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, probably about three years ago, and it's just coming from me soaking up all of his money. <laughs> yeah, but I see you work a weed whacker when you're home, though. I hate it. Oh. I get pelted with rocks. <laughs> yeah, but you got to do what you got to do to yeah, keep that dirt bike going, right? Exactly. I mean, my dad sacrifices so much for me, so when I'm home, I'll do whatever I can to you know help him out. And you know it yeah. is what it is. You gotta you being, gotta work for shit you want. Being yeah. parents though too, I'm sure all of that goes by the wayside when he gets to see you, you know, hop on the bike mm -hmm. and get out there and go. So. No, yeah, definitely. There's like it's it. This sport is super hard on a family just because of how much it financially costs. Like it is literally. We start talking about numbers and it's insane for what it costs to make a program run for a year even. And uh, it's hard, but at the same time, when you do get to places you want to be, you're happy. But then at the same time, it's like, oh, well, we, you know, you did what you had to do as an amateur to become a pro. Well, now let's, you know, try to make something out of it. Where sometimes I feel like you, while you're on the road, you kind of lose sight of, oh, well, you're a pro. You're one of the top, you're one of the 40 best in the world. But at the same time, it's like, that's not good enough for any sport you're in right. you just want to keep going and going and going so i mean it's hard but i mean it is I mean, what at it is. 21 you've you're approaching a decade mm -hmm. in right. this sport one way or another yeah and yeah but, but he's racing phenomenal. kids that are approaching two 
Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? That have been on a bike since they were two or three. That's like, I got a pretty, I didn't start racing competitively till I was like 12 or 13. And then I had the opportunity to go down to Florida and, you know, train. And then I really got into it pretty late. I was like 14 years old when I went down there and all the kids that were there, even if they were my age or they're older than me, they still, if they were my age, they already been down there for, you know, five, six years. So I started behind the eight ball and it's just been a ladder ever since. So do you feel um, that you're making up the gap? Yes, the definitely. Gap shrinking? I mean, from where, the, when I first started, there's kids that were light years ahead of me that I've beaten and, you know, every weekend at races that I'm not better than because, you know, the sport's hard and everybody has their weekends, but there's kids that used to beat me every single time I lined up, and now there's and those same kids I beat every time that I line up. So it's definitely I made a lot of progress in the past, you know, however long, eight nine years. Right. But um, at the same time, there's still a lot of work that needs to get done. Um, do you have any rivals or really close buddies on the circuit? Uh, I have some close friends, and then there's always going to be rivals, kids that you know. You come Rival in, makes you better, though, right? Yeah, like there's a lot of it. Uh, like as an amateur there's kids that are on factory teams and that's all they know and then when you're just a kid that's there and out of a camper with your family and they're out of factory semis you know and you pass them or you beat them they throw hissy fits and <laughs> i had this one instance we were in jacksonville florida and there's this kid that um he i caught or i passed them on the inside and he was on the outside and he crashed and then i came around the next straightaway and he gave me the finger and I was like, listen, dude, we're racing dirt bikes. Like, you don't have to give me the... So I waited for him at the finish line. And, like, being from Sarge... I don't know if it's a New York thing, a it's Sarge... A it's a Mount yeah, thing, I'll tell you that. Bro, it's yeah, a so thing. I was always taught, like, if you have conf like conflict with somebody, you know, you settle it. You don't let it go on. So I waited for him at the finish line, and I was like, like, why are you giving me the finger? And he was like, well, you took me out. I was like, listen... I don't care what the name on the back of your jersey is. Like, you could be the best in the world if I'm coming up on you and I pass you on the inside and you crash. Like, I don't care. Right. And That's on you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, what you give me the finger for. And then the kid was like, uh, he started like saying, he started like cursing at me. And then I was like, listen, like, we can settle this right here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, you could see the fear in their eyes because factory kids they never have that nobody stood up no one out. ever challenges yeah, nobody ever does that and yeah. i remember going, my dad was actually at that race and he was like well listen you handled it right i mean if they yeah. want to yeah. you know you're gonna do what you're gonna do yeah. one way or the other i think a perfect story to go along with this that shows that mindset remember the year we ran uh the summer camp oh yeah and you weren't sure if you wanted to play football anymore because you were starting to transition but you came up one day and threw pads on and the huddle was acting like an absolute bunch of jerks. Yep. And I hear, shut up, I'm talking. Yeah. And everybody went dead silent. And well, he always, had that. he always had that. Yeah. He just had that it factor thing. You've got you've to gotta, you know, own your situation. Yeah. What, whatever happened to Fagoon Racing? Oh, that was just a thing with my buddies. I, we, uh, me and my friend Frankie, we went to all the local races around here. Uh, District 34 MSC was the series that we'd always go to. And we were like... We wanted to get something on our graphics and like, cause we always park next to each other at the races and we race the same classes. So I remember actually we were sitting in my uncle's truck cause it was cold and uh, some kid was outside making a fire and uh, he was trying to break a stick over his knee. And I mean, it's 2020, so I probably can't say this. Yeah, but yeah, I know what you're Yeah, I was yep. like, he's a blah. And then in motocross, uh, if you call like somebody, if you say goon, it's like somebody that, you know, 
isn't the best or like has a weird style or something right. like that. So we're like, oh, he's a goon. Right, yeah. So yeah, that's where that came that's from. Funny. That's funny. Um, what would it mean for you to win a race as a privateer against all those, uh, you know, those oh, it, you, factory guys? I couldn't even put a meaning on it. I mean, it's would be such an accomplishment and it's definitely, it's only ever been done one time in our sport. Only one time a privateer has ever won uh, a supercross or a motocross, and it was Rick Ryan, Daytona, 96, I believe. Uh, it was a mud race. He just got the whole shot and won. Um, wow. There's definitely been people like privateer or satellite teams that won, but they right. still get like factory support, basically. They have, a, they have a good bike and you know a high salary, but there's never been really a guy out of his van that has just showed up to the race with right. his girlfriend and won or showed up with his dad and won. Right. You you show up in literally like a conversion van, right? Yeah. It's Chevy Express 1500 with windows. You and, see it creeping around yeah. Saugerties. <laughs> <laughs> no candy inside that van. No. And then, and then some of these teams, they roll up with full oh, they're, haulers, right? Yeah, multi-million dollar programs. It's crazy. Um, My van was 3000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... You were talking about traveling around with your girlfriend. I know you used to travel with Pops Maloney and your oh, family. Yeah. So what's what's some of the difference between traveling with your family and traveling mm. with your girlfriend? Well, it's both priceless because when you're on the road, you're making so many memories. I mean, me and my grandfather traveled across the whole entire country together, whether it was a van, a pickup truck, or a motorhome. I mean, there was a two- or three-year you know, bit where every weekend me and him were gone, and it's because my dad was working, my mom was working, and they couldn't take off to go. So it was just my pops retired. It was just let's go. <laughs> but now, like, I got my license. When I got my license when I was 17, uh, he kind of got not older, but, I mean, at the same time, he wants to enjoy his life with his yep. wife, you know. And as much as I'm sure if I called him right now and said, Pop, let's go to a race, he would hop right in the He'd car. He'd be right in there. Let's go, Bop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, it was definitely, you know, you create so many memories on the road. And then a lot of it, I kind of went to doing it by myself because I was living in Florida. So it wasn't, you know, financially smart to fly somebody in to drive with me to the race. Right. And when you turn 18, you can sign yourself up at the race. You don't need somebody there to sign you up. So, I mean, I'm, you know, it's not financially smart to spend $600 on a plane ticket to fly my grandfather, right. you know. When you know you're going there to try to make money, you're not yeah. going there, you know. Right now, uh, so lately it's been your girlfriend though. Yeah. There, well, there's no better way to find out if you're meant to be together to be on a road trip oh, with your girlfriend. Yeah, you find out <laughs> quick when you're you know 17 hours into a drive and you have you know four hours left and you're just tired and then you know they want attention because that's what girlfriends angry. want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you got anything? Yeah, I mean. Where do you see yourself, say, 10 years from now? What's what's the logical transition after your active riding career? Well, right now I'm at the point where, like, I, it always comes back to f money and stuff like that. Like, right now, right now I'm at the point where I need to figure out if I'm not going to, you know, go to be a, you know, Ricky Carmichael, James Stewart, Jeremy McGrath top guy, I need to figure out the, what races to hit to make the money and stuff like that because there's money races out there like there was just a race last weekend in maine and if you won both classes you'd have got like 4500 bucks for a weekend and you know that's not too bad on a weekend but where i definitely enjoy i've done a few riding schools where mm -hmm. i teach kids or whatever like that where i definitely enjoy that and it's something that i 
you know, I would definitely would like to, you know, in 10 years have my own track around here near home where I can bring kids there, have kids come and do like training camps at night or during the day or some four day camps. But right now it's hard to do that because you have to rent a track, you have sure. to have insurance in order to do it. So right now I'm kind of thinking that's kind of what I want, like the road I want to go down. You know, and I think there would be some, something you would learn from, you know, privateer racer that the experiences and the, mm-hmm. and the life lessons you've learned going through to pass along to kids that are growing up that probably won't have the same, you know, economic advantages mm-hmm. as the the team sponsored or as the um, manufactured sponsored mm-hmm. racers. So that's that's phenomenal. No, yeah, like the amateur. There's every year for amateurs. There's an amateur national at Loretta Lynn's Ranch in Tennessee, and there's uh, 29 classes, 42 people per class. So if you add that up, there's a lot of ra- racers there, and then that's just you have to qualify for that there's you know seven different regions eight area qualifiers per region and then a regional per region so there's a lot of you know people that are trying to go to loretta's and if you're trying to go to loretta's you're trying to be you know a ricky carmichael jerry mcgrath but at the end of the day the numbers don't lie there's only probably right now in our sport there's probably only seven guys or eight guys that when they retire they never have to work again so I mean, the money at the top is good, but it falls off pretty quick. So yeah. now you you just mentioned Loretta Lynn's. Um, 2017, you got second there, right? Yeah, 2016. Oh, 16, mm-hmm. 2016. I remember reading that, and you had a shot at winning that, right? And uh, you, did you get caught up with a lapper or something? Um, 2016. Yeah, I got second overall, and on the last lap, the leader almost crashed out. So if he would have crashed out, then I would have won. And that's like the, um biggest i mean if you win loretta's it basically sets you up for a factory contract is that kind of what launched your career to the pros a little bit Mm, it more launched the me believing in myself that i'm actually good enough to yeah um now that's in tennessee loretta's Mm -hmm. right we we love tennessee we We just we just played national that team right there just went down to national uh championship tournament in Mm -hmm. gatlinburg whereabouts is uh loretta's uh, it's 70 miles west of Nashville. Okay, so you're even further west. Okay, yep. I used to live out there in uh, mm-hmm. Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, so uh, you lived on your own, right, And at 14. But when you were a kid, you used to have separation anxiety a oh, little bit, bad. right? So I, 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 I don't know if I read a story or talking to your grandfather, your mom, or somebody. When you won your first gold cup when you were like five. Mm-hmm. And BMX. And BMX. Uh, <laughs> you win the thing, and everybody's expecting you to be happy and laughing. But you came back crying because they want to let your dad come get you from the yeah. stage event or something. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I got off the finish line, and um, my as soon as I crossed the finish line, the first thing I looked for was my parents, and I seen my dad on the other side of the fence, and the security guard wouldn't let him through. And, you know, I start bawling because my dad's arguing with a security guard. <laughs> and, and I was five years old, but at the same time, I was well aware of what, you know, one wrong word or one wrong action. I was well aware of what could have happened. Right. And I just start bawling my eyes out. And then I think my dad seen me crying, so then he got more mad. And then I remember my grandmother running over, and she's like, it's fine. And then I was like, no, it's not fine. But, yeah, when I was – there's so many times that I remember of just, like – going to the bathroom or anything being like even eight years old just looking as soon as i get back looking for my parents and not seeing them and just freaking out yeah so that's some that's some uh you know couple year difference all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're on your own yeah 
So what what made you move from BMX to motocross? Because your dad was a pro BMXer, right? Yes. Um, honestly, as weird as it sounds, BMX came so easy to me. And I remember there was like a three-year run where I literally won every single thing. And I honestly just got, whether it's burnt out or bored, I just, it wasn't fun for me because there was no challenge. Right. So it came so easy and I won so much that I just got bored of it and I wanted a challenge. So then that's when I started riding dirt bikes. Oh, that's cool. So BMX, you got to appreciate the sticker. Oh, yeah. That's a good movie. <laughs> the, the rad sticker. Uh, you want to do t- five crazy questions? Five crazy me? questions. Let's do it. So, TJ, uh, he'll ask you five crazy questions or us. I mean, this one's more geared towards you. Uh, we don't know what they are. <laughs> we'll and find just, out. Just do the best you can. Roll with the punches. Yeah, yeah. We're, we went We went good uh, on our regular show. We go dirty and crazy, and but we went pretty good here because we know you're looking for a sponsor. <laughs> and uh you know we're gonna we're gonna treat you good yeah uh number one would you rather uh wreck over your handlebars or get creamed by a linebacker blindside uh creamed by a linebacker yeah for sure (laughs) a lot more padding that way yeah i went over the handlebars last year uh at the same race i just went to last weekend and broke my collarbone sticking out of the skin and my neck and my back so i want that again Oh, quick side note. I saw a thing where you some kid jumped the fence and helped you out, and you sent him a signed jersey. Yeah, that, that was, was amazing. Weekend. That kid was crying. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it, it was like, it, I don't know if it trended on YouTube or whatever. Is that your is that the worst wreck? Um, yeah, yeah, probably because I didn't get knocked out, so I remember the whole thing. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Oh, that pain had to suck. <laughs> uh, number two, would you rather start in the back mm-hmm. or... Being the being the one hole and have to fend everybody off for the whole race. Would you rather start in the back and win, or, or be out front and, you know, and be out front? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, then you're set, not choking on dirt. Set the pace. Yeah. Uh, would you rather fight off fifty mouse-sized bears <laughs> or one bear-sized mouse? One bear-sized mouse. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, because I I think even bears little are going to be ferocious fuckers. I, I think so. Yeah, ankle biters. Uh, let's see. Would you rather run an entire race with extreme, with severely low air pressure in your tires or extremely loose handlebars? Air pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a lot of bite only, with low air pressure. Yeah, right? we only run like 12 pounds as it is. Okay, so, so you're getting used to that. Yeah, if, in some races you get a flat tire and you just got to finish it out, so. All right, and if you could only eat one food for every meal for the next five years, what would it be? Chipotle. Dead ass. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Man, how do you get... How you you cannot handle? possibly eat that before you go race. 100%. Rice oh. and chicken. Oh, my God. I'd be shitting all over the seat. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find one pretty much in every town Everywhere. now, so yeah. that's cool. He'd eat Chipotle every meal. Jesus Christ. Um, back, I remember back uh, when you ran Arena Cross in Albany one a couple times. Mm-hmm. I did your shirt for you. It was mm-hmm. green and black. Uh, you were on Kawasaki then, I believe. Mm-hmm. So... You went to Husqvarna last year? Yeah, well, I went... Uh, I know you jumped around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, when I was on minis, which minis are like 85 cc's and down, I was on Kawasaki's. And then when I first got on a big bike, it was a Honda. And then the Hondas were pretty like behind production. Not like they didn't have them, but they uh, they were just behind the eight ball on you know speed and handling right. and stuff like that. So then I got on the Yamaha because the Yamaha was the best bike. And then KTM made a... you know really good bikes and i got on that and then husqvarna and or ktm bought husqvarna so husqvarna and ktm is the same bike just ktms are orange and husqvarna's are white 
and the Husqvarna price is $400 cheaper, I believe. Yeah. So I think that's why I went that route. <laughs> yeah. But when you're a privateer like that, you got to get the closest to race ready bike mm-hmm. without having to put extras on it. Yeah, exactly. And the Husqvarna, they sell a factory edition that's race ready that comes with like good wheels, that comes with a pipe, triple clamp, stuff like that. So, I mean, if you spend, you know, $1,200 more on that bike versus the stock Husqvarna, it still saves you in the long run from having to buy all the aftermarket parts to put on it. So what um, what what exactly is the difference between a, like a factory bike and a, a like your bike? I, and I imagine like motor tuning yeah, well, and stuff like that. If you look at my bike and then you look at a factory bike, uh, it doesn't look much different, but it's all the internal stuff that they have that they don't even sell to the public. Right. Like if, say I went up to the factory Husqvarna team and... I said, do you guys have a clutch that I could buy off you guys? And they would say, no, because we only made, there's only a certain enough made to get our riders through the year right. where they won't even sell you a clutch. So it's just stuff like from anything from a clutch to they have certain handlebars made for their guys, brake pads, just anything you could think of. So they, it's, I'm sure it's lighter. It's mm-hmm. all the best technology and they don't want that out to every yeah, Joe Schmo. No. So that's where, that's where the money comes mm-hmm. in because... Now I'm making sure that you, the privateer guy, can't beat me because exactly. I'm the I'm the mm-hmm. I'm the team. You know, mm-hmm. uh, do you think if you jumped on one of those bikes, you could you if you think if you got on a factory ride, you could be a top ten guy? If you just hopped on the bike for one weekend, no, I mean you tuned it like you yeah, had. If you, you had, had a whole off season at Carmichael's with a with a, a factory ride, yes, a hundred percent, and and that, and that's and that's it. So don't give up on your dreams. Yeah. That's the thing here is you're so close, and I know the injuries get you down. Mm-hmm. You're on the road, and you and you're like you know you, you doubt yourself at mm-hmm. times. I'm sure, but you you've qualified with with a privateer bike. Yeah. So you just you know it'll come. It'll come. I, I definitely think after watching you, seeing how it goes, you know, getting a hole shot's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How many privateer guys go out and get hole shots? No, probably five or six throughout the whole year. Right. So I mean that, that was pretty big. Uh, you got anything else there, Winnie? I'm good. Are you good? You got anything? Anybody you want to plug? Anything you want to? Yeah, all your social media. What do you have? Uh, Instagram TJ Albright underscore. Uh, Facebook just TJ Albright, and then yeah, I just like to thank my family for everything that they've done. TCD Fly Sandbox King Garnet Engineize ODI, and you know everybody else that's just been a part of it, supporting me through the whole entire thing. It all means a lot. What is it? Uh, what is it? Uh... Albright Long Care. Yeah, Albright Long Care is the main <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make sure you thank that one, Sponge. Uh, one, one last thing. What? Uh, well, maybe a couple more. But what, where did one sixteen come from? So, the first time I ever went to a race that, uh, well, my first ever number was number four because I liked Ricky Carmichael. Football number. Yes, yeah. it was. And then. Uh, the first time I went to a race and bought or signed up and got my own district card, like became a member of a district, uh, they asked me for my number. And there's a kid around here, uh, his dad owned Lang Media. Oh, Michael Lang, Michael right? Lang. And M- little Mikey, that is like four or five years older than me, his number was 116. And he was really good, so I always looked up to him. So then I was like, oh, I want to be like him. So then I picked 116. Oh, cool. Now, he does photos for the yes. series, yeah, right? Yeah, he's a photographer for one of the media outlets. Oh, that's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, so I, that, that I was always wondering. I'm like, 116. He always loved four. I mean, mm-hmm. for a little while, I think it was like 10 yeah. when you were lo- younger. And a lot of times in motocross, people, my birthday's February 16th, so people normally people would my number would be 216 right so now like one january 16th people think that's my birthday but it's really not um for a little while you ran like a 421 or something like that or uh, 50? Two, 241 241 so when i when you turn pro they um you have to get a new number and if your number's available they you can get your number but if your number's not available you have to pick a new number and honestly I just liked the way the number 241 looked, <laughs> so I picked that. But then, because uh, there was a rule where numbers 1 through 120, they saved for uh, foreign riders that would come over right. so they could have a lower number, and then they changed it from 1 to 110, so then 116 became available. Oh, that's cool. And then, uh, wasn't there a... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm stuttering here. Didn't somebody that their family owned a moonshine or something... Uh, one of your buddies, he passed away, and yes. you wrote a number in yes. honor of him one, yeah, one my year friend, season? Yeah, my, my friend, one of my best friends from Kentucky, uh, Nathan Hall, passed away to a racing accident, and I ran his number for about a year just in memory of him. Oh, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, T, I, I really, I'm glad you came on here. I think uh, we learned a lot about yeah. your sport. Uh, I know you've been battling some bumps and craziness. I remember taping your ankles when you played football for us and you set all the records. But if there's one thing I know is that you're not a quitter. Mm-mm. You're always right to the edge. No matter how hurt you are, you're going to give it. There's so many times I picked you up off the field crying and taped you back up and you went back out there and then you persevered and you overcame. So Mama come to the sideline. Mama come quick, and go, you're fine. Get yeah, your ass up. Get back up. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean? Stick with it. If, if there's one thing I can tell you from my own personal experiences, I gave up at 23. Mm-hmm. And guys that I know that I beat weekly are pros now, you know, obviously got longer uh, longevity and auto racing but it don't ever don't bet on yourself don't give up we're betting on ourselves with this absolutely this whole podcast thing bet on yourself because you got a lot of people that believe in you and i i really want to see you do well no thank you i appreciate it and if this thing takes off we're getting outlaw blitz on that bike that's right (laughs) you know it's awesome to have one of our one of our one of our locals one of our boys out there doing big things so thanks for coming on no thank you for having me you want to take us home winnie yep for tj albright and gmac this is winnie on the Outlaw Blitz interview podcast, take it deep. The Outlaw Blitz podcast has been a 24 Cross Media production.